I'd love for you to jump right in with me to the message this morning, our ongoing conversation about being part of the church. If you've missed the last couple of weeks, here's a quick review for you, and you can always go back and listen to or watch these messages as well. Number one, the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. So much of what God wants to do So much of what God intends to do on this earth is going to be done through His people, Jesus' followers, the church. The church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. Secondly, the gospel is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the gospel. Everybody needs to know and hear the name of Jesus and to hear the good news about Him and to recognize the freedom that can be known in Christ. And if we have experienced that freedom and that life change in Jesus, then we should be the people telling others about Christ. We, and if we don't do that, then the gospel will not make it to many of the ears who need to hear. The church is the hope of the gospel. If people are going to hear the good news about Jesus, it's going to be the church, you and I, that do that work. Thirdly, Christ is the head of the church. This is his idea, this is his family, Christ is the head of the church, and that means we want to be submitted to, yielded to his plan, his work, his desires. Last week we talked about how Christ gives gifts or leaders within his church that includes apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Now, we don't necessarily see all of these things functioning with a title or in the office of, if you will, but we see the functions of the fivefold ministry of all of these different capacities at, in operation as God chooses in His church. In fact, last week I said to you that pastors often function in any of those offices in some way. Uh, we are to, as pastors, to encourage our congregations and the people that God's entrusted to us We are to encourage them to uh, know the lost and to engage with the lost and to see people say we're, we're given sometimes oversight to being a part of helping other churches or other ministries or other things of that nature. We are often used by God to foretell what God is saying to a people. Uh, not always to foretell, not always to predict the future, if you will, but in that idea of prophecy is the idea of calling people to stay with God and be committed to the Word of God. Can God tell us a word about the future? Absolutely. But in many cases in Scripture, the prophet was used to help people stay on the right path with God, to remember what he'd said and to remember his Word. And then lastly, last week we talked about how leaders of the church have the responsibility to build up the church. That's the idea of spiritual maturity and to equip God's people to do God's work. And, and I don't think it, that this has to be said to all of you wonderful e-paggers this morning, but the reality is that pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, and evangelists, these people who are given by Jesus are not tasked with the responsibility of just simply being popular in the world we live. We're tasked with the responsibility to help Jesus' followers grow. In fact, the writer of Hebrews said it this way, let us go on to maturity in Christ. 
Let us, let us not again lay the foundations and the things that we know and the, the understanding of salvation and the understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit, but let us go on to maturity, spiritual maturity, to have the fruit of the Spirit, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to be an active part of even making disciples of other people. So leaders of the church have that responsibility and to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. We follow Christ, His plan, His will, His agenda. Christ works through His leaders into His people, and the church becomes the church that works. And we've said from week one, when the church works, the world wins. When we are functioning the way God intends us to function, when we are experiencing His power and His authority in the flow of how He intends, when the church works, the world wins. Now, I would suggest to you today that Christ has already laid out the mission and purpose of His church, both the church universal as well as every local church. And I'll go far enough to say today that not every local church is on mission. But God has given us the mission and purpose of His church. We have been commanded and commissioned on how to live and how to be a part of God's work on this earth. Pastor Cynthia did a marvelous job just a few weeks ago of talking about and teaching from the great commandments. I'll reference Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Well, Pastor Chris, we've heard that many, many times. Well, I would suggest to you today that if we don't get this right, we won't get any of the rest of it right that it starts with this vertical relationship with God. Do we love Him? Do we want to please Him? Do we desire to follow His will for our lives? We are to love God with all that we are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why do we love God? Why do we follow Jesus? Why is He the center of our focus and affection? Well, the simple answer is, it's because of who He is. We recognize that there is no one greater than the God that we serve. Secondly, it's because He first loved us. We recognize that we didn't deserve what Jesus did. We shouldn't have received what Jesus did. In His mercy, He didn't give us what we really deserved, and that was His wrath and punishment for sin, our rebellion against Him. But rather, in His grace, He has given us greater than we deserve, all of the spiritual blessings that we need in Christ Jesus, seated with Him. And we love Him because of all He's done for us. He's proven His love. He's proven His commitment to us all throughout our time. And truthfully, this love for God is our greatest motivation for what we do for God on this earth. There are a lot of people in our world today who are trying to do good things. There are a lot of people in our world today who give to charities and serve other people groups and all these different things. But when the motivation of doing that is to just simply feel good in yourself or to gain attention from other people, there's going to come a point when you're going to quit doing those things because the motivation behind it's not right. But when the motivation is our love for God, We want to serve others because we recognize other people need Jesus. We want to serve others because we want them to experience the same love and the same power and the same transformation and the same leading in their lives that we've known in our own lives. When our motivation is God's love, it doesn't matter who sees it. 
It doesn't matter who acknowledges the fact that we've done all these great things. All that matters is the audience of one. Our whole desire is wrapped up in we recognize we were loved by God first. Now we want to love Him in return. And part of loving Him in return is living a lifestyle of worship that helps other people know our great God. Love for God has to be our motivation. The second comes from the very next verse, Jesus talking in Mark 12, 31. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Here's the truth. We can't love God and not love people. John wrote in his epistle in 1 John chapter 4, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. A few verses later, he writes, If someone says, I love God, but hates even a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. You may not have the same personality. You may not have the same experience and background. You may not come from the same socioeconomic class. You may find that you have many differences with some of the people around you in the community of God. But if we do not love especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are showing that the love of God is not at work in us. And it's not just for believers. Jesus instructed us in His Word to even love our enemies and to pray for those who even desire to do us harm. Jesus was also moved with compassion for people who weren't yet following Him. He recognized, Scripture tells us, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus longed more than anything to be that good, great shepherd to lead each and every life. So we have the commandments. And then before He ascended back to heaven, Jesus commissioned His early followers and all of us who would later follow Him with a great commission. Matthew 28, Jesus came and told His disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, and He's entrusting that to us. Notice the therefore. When there's a therefore, you need to know what it's there for. So it's connecting back to the previous verse. Jesus says, I have all authority, and I'm entrusting that authority. I'm giving you, I'm commissioning you, I'm sending you. Just like he sent the 12, just like he sent the 70, just like he did those things in Scripture, he's now sending all of us. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the idea is we're following Jesus. We love God. We recognize who He is. We recognize His love for us. And now in response, we're following Jesus. And then Jesus said, now as you are loving me and following me, 
as you are going, show that love towards other people. And wherever they're at on the journey, inspire them to follow me. Inspire people who have never followed Jesus to consider Jesus in their lives. Inspire people and help people who are following Jesus to live committed lives obeying His commands. In the Great Commission, we see that we're going to reach people who've never followed Jesus, and we're also going to help disciple people who have made a decision to follow Jesus, and in all things we are pointing people to the same Jesus we know and love so much. Now, we commonly refer to Matthew 28 as the Great Commission. We recognize to be commissioned, or as one other verse of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 talks about, to be Christ's ambassador or representative means to be sent as one on behalf of another person or another power, a greater power. And we, we commonly refer to the, the Great Commission as such. We are all sent as representatives of Jesus to represent and to represent Him to others. Steve Richardson asks in the title of his book of the Great Commission, Is the Commission Still Great? Others have redefined the Great Commission as the Great Omission. That Jesus' followers today are simply not engaging in sharing their faith in Jesus and in talking about Jesus with others, or even inviting other people to be a part of the local church. In a recent study, Church Answers, Sam Rayner states that, I fear too many churches are sitting still and becoming apathetic with evangelism. Apathetic is not necessarily hatred towards people, it's not necessarily the opposite of love. It's simply indifference. The reality that in our world we can get so focused on ourselves or so accustomed to what's happening around us that we actually become desensitized to the world around us and the sin around us. It doesn't bother us anymore. We can hear it. We can see it. We can be around it every day of our lives and yet it not bother us anymore. We're not uncomfortable with it. We are accustomed to it. It's almost as if instead of following Paul's words in Romans 12 when it says live opposite of the culture around you, we have instead acclimated to the culture around us. We've become commonplace with what's going on and therefore we've become apathetic with evangelism. This same guy in his study, Sam Rayner, talks about a metric that can be used in the local church. They're doing a study called the conversion ratio. The conversion ratio. And the question posed is simple. How many people does it take in a local church to win one person for Christ? How many people in a local church does it take to win one person for Christ? And he goes on to state that a healthy church would have a ratio of 20 to 1. 20 people would win one person each year. Now, that means it would take 20 people just to reach the one. Not 20 reaching one every person, but 20 people to reach one. The smaller the ratio, the fewer people in a local church it would take to reach others. Let me try to put this in simpler terms. A one-to-one -one ratio would mean that each person in a local church is reaching one person for Christ each year. You with me? 
One-to-one, each person in a local church is reaching one person for Christ each year. When they did the study and they used the conversion ratio, they came to the conclusion that the average local church is an 85-to-1 ratio, that it takes on average 85 people in a local church just to reach one person every year. 85-to-1. What that tells us is that the church, specifically in America, since that's our context at this moment, that the church in America is becoming apathetic with evangelism. It's best illustrated with the story of a Christian man who was about to die in a hospital. On the day before the man passed away, the chaplain stopped by for a visit to pray with the man. After praying and during the conversation with him, the chaplain asked the man, Are you okay? And the man replied, Yes, I am okay. I know that I am saved, and I have no doubt in my heart that when I die, I am going to heaven. Well, then the chaplain said, Why do you seem so shaken? What's wrong? What is it that seems to be eating at you? And the Christian man replied, I've had nothing but time to reflect over my life. You see, I'm not afraid to die. No, not at all. Rather, I am ashamed to die, for I know I am about to stand before my Lord empty-handed, having never won any souls for Christ. The man went to church, the man gave his tithe, the man mowed the grass, the man did so much to serve, but in 65 years, this man had never gotten involved in the mission of Christ, the greatest mission on the face of the planet, reaching souls for Jesus. What is it that keeps Jesus' followers from engaging in the Great Commission? If you were to answer that question today, what would you say? What is it that would keep you from having Christ-centered conversations, to talking to someone about, to, about Jesus and about the gospel? What keeps us from inspiring other people to follow Jesus? And is there an answer to those reasons we often give? Well, first, I would suggest today that one of the reasons that we may not be engaged as much as we should is a lack of passion and intentionality. Are we passionate about lost people? Do we weep for the lost? Again, have we grown to be desensitized to a point that it doesn't even bother us, that we're gathered with family, that we're gathered with coworkers, that we're around neighbors, that we're around people all the time who do not know Jesus? Do we share in the passion of our Savior and King Jesus who had compassion on people because they were like sheep without a shepherd? What expectations do we have about working for the Lord? You know, sometimes I wonder... If we are expecting God to come and write on the wall so that we can be convinced that God wants us to be involved in His work, what would it take for us to recognize this this is God's work and God wants me to be a part of it? Are we somehow waiting for an opportunity to share Jesus that just smacks us upside the head and takes us completely off track of what our day was going to be? Are we looking for opportunities to share Jesus because we know Jesus wants all to know Him? Are we passionate and are we intentional, not waiting for God to remind us this is His work and He wants us to be involved, but taking the step to engage others for Jesus? 
I can't help but be reminded of the Scripture passage in Matthew 25, where the Master, uh, Jesus tells the story of the kingdom of heaven being illustrated by the story of a master, a man going on a long trip, and he calls together his servants, and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Some people refer to this as the parable of three servants or the parable of talents. One received five bags of silver, one person received two bags, and the last person received one bag. The one with the five bags invested and made five more, bringing them to ten. The one with two bags went and worked and earned two more, bringing him to four. And the one with one bag, Scripture says, dug a hole in the ground and hid the money. When the master came back, he rewarded the two servants who knew about the master's heart for the way things worked, that they had been useful. They had been uh, taking what they'd been given, and they used it and earned more, and they'd proven to be faithful. You remember what the master said to them? It's the thing that we long to hear every, every one of us as we go into the gates of glory, right? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And those who had been faithful to serve were given more responsibilities. You may remember the one that was given one bag of silver. Jesus referred to that man as a wicked and lazy servant. He knew the master's desires. He'd been given resources from the master, but he did nothing with what he'd been given. Scripture teaches us that to whom much is given, much is required. And I would suggest today that we've all been given quite a bit. In Jesus, we've been given the greatest gift that we could ever receive in our lives, the gift of salvation and eternal life. And if we're not going to be passionate, we're not going to be motivated, and if we're not motivated, we won't move. If we're not intentional, we will be like the Christian man who was about to die and hadn't won any souls for Jesus. We know God's heart. Are we moving in God's mission? And I would just pause to say today that if you and the Lord are not tight walking together, it's going to affect your heart for lost people. That if you and the Lord aren't close, if your passion for the Lord is not a blazing fire as Scripture might speak of it, or, or is in some way either hot or cold but not lukewarm in the middle where, yeah, I go to church and I, I go through the routine and I've got the religion down and I know how to throw some money in the bucket, I do all of those things. You know how to, to act religious, but you know in your heart of hearts, you, you and God, there's some space between you. I am convinced that unless our love for God is greatest in our lives, we will not have the passion we need to recognize just how much other people need Jesus. It starts with loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It continues with that love from Him flowing through our lives to love other people. And we know His heart, and His heart moves us to be a part of His mission. There's a second reason I think that people maybe struggle to engage in an evangelistic way in their lives. Secondly is the feeling of inadequacy. And we've all faced that. Uh, you may have never considered yourself a, a minister. Last week we talked about how Jesus gives gifts to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And many of you might have said, well, well, I'm not called to ministry because in your mind ministry is defined as the person who does it professionally, vocationally. Or you may think of ministry as what takes place on a platform or with a microphone. You would have never considered yourself a minister. 
But Scripture clearly defines that all Jesus followers are to be equipped and then involved by that equipping and empowerment in active ministry service. Now, you may feel inadequate to serve in any capacity of ministry service towards other people. Or maybe you feel like you have a lack of skills to have conversations with coworkers or to help mentor the next generations. Maybe you feel like today your personality puts you at a disadvantage. Well, pastor, I'm, I'm an extreme introvert. I'm not like you, Pastor. You, you, know, you seem to just be, just be always eager to talk to people, and I'm just wanting to go home and cover up in my blanket and drink coffee and binge a TV show, right? Maybe you feel like your personality puts you at a disadvantage. You may question how you could help anyone else follow Jesus when you feel like you've failed so much yourself and haven't figured it all out yet on your own. And I want to give you a newsflash today. Church leaders can feel some of the very same inadequacies. Even after great events, seemingly wonderful Sundays or big wins, there are always things that even as church leaders it's easy to focus on or somehow feel like it didn't go right or somehow question ourselves of, man, what if I'd have done this? Would it have been better? When things happen or things arise or people aren't liking each other, all these different things, any good leader stands back and says, what could I have done differently? And yet it can also lead to a feeling of inadequacy. Church leaders deal with emotions of feeling like they're not enough or feeling like they don't have all the answers. And newsflash on that one too, we don't have all the answers, but it's even worse because we're expected to. Leaders are subjected to a lot of criticisms from others that they're called to lead. And the enemy works on church leaders just like he works on you. Nobody wanted to admit that this morning. I, I don't know about you, but I think the enemy likes to even try to talk to me sometimes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about your own voice and talking to yourself. I'm talking about those moments when, when the enemy's coming against you and trying to tell you lies that contradict what Scripture says and what God says about you. The enemy works in church leaders or tries to just the same way. We all deal with these feelings of inadequacy. Add to it number three, the self-induced pressure. We know there are billions of people lost in this world and thousands if not hundreds of thousands who are lost right here in our front yard and we feel the tensions in our lives of lost family members and unsaved neighbors and confused co-workers. And when we see the problem for really what it is and how big it is, I don't know about you, but it can feel like an overwhelming task for any one person to make a difference or a dent in the darkness of this world. We can feel like, I have to do something, but what? Where do I start? Or maybe we have conversations with people and we walk away from those moments and we say, but nobody got saved today. I must not have used the right words. I must not have asked the right questions. I can't seem to be good at this whole helping win people to Jesus thing. And we put this pressure on us. And then lastly, there's fear. Maybe the root of all of it. Fear, I want to remind you today, is a major tool of the enemy, not a work of God. There is a reverence for God, 
a holy reverence that recognizes that we don't deserve to even stand in his presence. There's a holy reverence that recognizes God is so much greater than we are, but it's not fear. Fear is about being afraid in some way, sometimes of a possibility without it even being a concrete fact. It's a major tool of the enemy. And if the enemy can convince us to live by fear, we will be immobilized. We will stand still. We will never do anything. If we spend all of our time, what if the next scenario in our lives or what if things happen this way, we will never move forward to do anything. Fear. Maybe it's a fear of sharing Jesus. Maybe you would say today, I I don't know what to say. I don't know how to start a conversation. And I especially feel like I'm not prepared if people ask me questions. I'm not sure I can answer them if they give them to me. Or maybe, especially in our world today, it's a growing fear of rejection and ridicule. How will people respond if I start talking about Jesus? What's going to happen if I go to my neighbor and they slam the door in my face and never talk to me again? What will my coworkers think of me? Because it feels like in my office, I am the minority of the group. Will I lose my job? Will my family or people I know not want to spend time with me anymore if I cross this unspoken bridge to have this conversation about Jesus? Is this going to make things awkward? It's part of the reason why this week in VBX with our kids, we'll talk about how God is bigger than fear. And how our shirts will talk about God is bigger than fear. The fear of of people when you stand up for someone. The fear of telling the truth. All of these different things that can be fears. We want our children, our students, even from young ages, to recognize God is bigger than that fear. And He will help you to do the right things in those moments. These are all real things that Jesus' followers can deal with. And in talking with people, I've heard all of these different things. They wrestle with them in their hearts and in their minds. But I would contend today that there is an answer to help us with these challenges and battles. That we're not walking in our own power and in our own strength and in our own ability and just in our own personality or skill sets. We are told by Jesus, even in the Great Commission... I'm sending you to do these things. As you go, I want you to make disciples, but don't you get discouraged. Don't you fear. I'm going to be with you, even until the very end of the age. I'll be with you in those conversations. I'll be with you in those moments around the table at the holidays with your family. I'll be with you in those moments when you talk to that neighbor in the other driveway. I'll be with you at work when you're working every day. Jesus promised to go with us. And the answer for fear and pressure and inadequacy and passion is the power of God being at work in our lives. In the greatest way, His name is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that He's the comforter, the advocate, the strengthener, the helper. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would always lead us to do what is right in perfect alignment with God's Word. The Holy Spirit is not weird or spooky. He's not an impersonal force, but instead He's one just like Jesus, sent from God to help us in every day, in every context, in every conversation, in every moment of our lives. He stirs within us the passion for the love of God and passion for other people. He reminds us what we've experienced 
Christ in Jesus and helps us see the need in our world for others to experience the same power. The Holy Spirit reminds us, oh, thank God, that where we lack and in our weakness, God is strong. His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we can't do things all on our own, but that's just it. We're not alone. God is with us. His power at work in and through our lives as we follow Jesus and he comforts and reminds us that no matter what people have to say, no matter what people may try to do to us, God has saved us and redeemed us and when it's all said and done, we will be with him forever. Praise God. So we come back to some scripture that we started on a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now let me pause for a moment and say, immediately a lot of people when reading this passage of Scripture, hearing about the first century church and the birth of the church in Acts 2, People get hung up on the idea of speaking in other languages. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's an initial evidence. Yes, it's an added blessing in divine communication with God. But I want you to understand that that's not just it. That's not all of it. Notice what Jesus said before it even happened about what would take place in the lives of people who experienced the work of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Say it with me. You will be my witnesses. One more time. You will be my witnesses. It's the idea that the Holy Spirit's not just bringing some goosebumps and even not just another language, but it's the idea of the power of God Almighty Himself coming to reside in our lives and to comfort and keep and lead and empower us. It wasn't just that they were going to have a sign and an evidence of the experience. That's important. And we could talk for quite a while today about what it means to pray in the Spirit and worship in the Spirit and the different language and intercession, all of those things. But even greater so, this was the beginning of a greatly empowered life for the early church that throttled them into effectiveness in their world in spreading the gospel and seeing people be saved no matter what came against them. It would be Peter, who just days before had denied even knowing Jesus, who would stand up on this very day when people said, these folks are crazy. They're just a bunch of drunk hoodlums at 9 o'clock in the morning. And Peter stood up and said, no, this is about the work of God. And this power is available to you if you will follow Jesus. He went from coward to courageous because of the power of God at work in his life. And then you fast forward throughout the book of Acts. This was just the starting point. Because from here on, the church was going to face some hard times. They dealt with persecution. They dealt with people who hated them. They dealt with people who wanted to compromise the truth. They dealt with everything that we're dealing with right now. Even though it may feel like everything's on steroids right now in our world, the reality is the early church dealt with this stuff. Go read through the New Testament. The Apostle Paul addressed 
issue after issue after issue of sinfulness, issue after issue of not bleeding in with the culture and looking just like the world around them. And then on top of it all, people wanted to kill the early church. But the early church, even in facing persecution, would keep talking about Jesus wherever they went, even being jailed or killed for their faith because there was a power at work on the inside of their lives that wouldn't let them just sit back and watch the world burn up in judgment. But they said, i got to do something about this. I know the resurrected Jesus and everybody else needs to know him too. Listen, you and I may have to navigate the challenges, and you and I may have to, to navigate the challenges and the battles of passion and inadequacy and pressure and fear. There are going to be some moments where we've got to wrestle through some of those things, but we don't have to live there. We shouldn't live there because we are the church. And Jesus never intended his church to be anything less than empowered. Jesus never intended us to do it on our own. But he also formed us so that we would do his work on this earth. And now he's giving us the power to do that work. There is no plan B. So he empowers plan A, you and I, to do the work on this earth. To see people saved and set free and redeemed and restored and healed. To see life trajectories totally turned in a different direction. He calls us to his work. But the great thing is he's not saying go out and do it on your own and in your own strength and in your own power. He's saying, I will give you my very power to do the work, to live passionately, to live intentionally, to live without fear or feelings of inadequacy. But I will equip you. I will give you the words to speak. I will lead you into the conversations. I will open the right doors. I will empower you to do this work. Listen to me closely. You may not be called to be a missionary or a pastor. But every Jesus follower is called to be a witness. Every one of us. Not on our own, but we have the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And if the Holy Spirit's power raised Jesus from the dead, is there anything He can't do? That power in us the power of the one who created the universe, let's invite that power to be at work in our lives. Let's not sit back and watch as friends and family members and neighbors and co-workers and even strangers, let's not sit back and watch them struggle and live in bondage and fight through all of these things. Let's rise in power and be the witnesses Jesus wants us to be and help other people know Jesus. Let's be the church. Let's rise and be the church. Yeah, I get it. It seems like we're facing more obstacles or opposition than what we've ever faced as the church in our world. I get it that people are labeling us in all sorts of different ways. I understand everything that people could say. I get all of that. But we're still the church. We're still the family of God. And even as I was reading just yesterday... What authority on earth is greater than the authority and power of God? There is not one. So I will not fear those things. 
but we will walk in the power of God and we will be active in His work and we will see to it even if we are living in the last days of the earth the way we know it, even if that is the truth, we will still walk in the power of God and be involved in His service so that when all is said and done and we stand before God, we can say not of our own power and our own bragging about it, but we can say, Lord, we tried to make the most of You. We tried to make sure people heard the name of Jesus and knew the gospel. I want to ask you to stand with me, if you will, all over the room. You may not be called to be a missionary or pastor. You may not feel like vocational ministry is your calling. You may serve in the marketplace, and that is wonderful that God can use you there and He will empower you there just like He would empower me in some form of ministry. But I'm telling you today, even though you may not feel called to vocational ministry, we're all called to be witnesses to Jesus. We're all called to tell people what Jesus has done, what He wants to do, and how they can know Him. I want to invite you to do something today. First of all, I want to invite our prayer team members to come and Make yourself available on either side of the auditorium today. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And these individuals, these, these people will be available to pray with you, to encourage you. Uh, if you've got questions about what does it mean to be part of the church or even to follow Jesus, they'll help answer those questions. If you have a need today and you say, I just need someone to agree with me and, and even to maybe give uh, encouragement to me because I'm in a spot where I'm really struggling, today these individuals, these people will pray for you and do just that. But before we go, I want to I take this moment to respond all together. We started this conversation this way and I want to I continue it this way right now. I want to ask you to make contact, if you will, with the people near you. Take a hand, take a shoulder, just don't take them in a headlock and we'll be okay. Make contact. Could we, as a unified body of Christ, could we pray for the power of God to be at work in us. There was an interesting phrase that came across my attention yesterday, and, and uh, I think I've prayed this way to this point, but it just caught my attention again. And You know, sometimes we can get so busy in our lives, and we can do all these things, and we can think we've got all the answers, and we can say, okay, I'm going to do this, and God, I want you to bless this. But I think today the better prayer for us would be, God, would you do your work through us? your word through us. That your power, your words, your desires would be at work through us. And as a local church family, can we pray together, Holy Spirit, would you have the greatest opportunity to work in our hearts and lives from this day forward, greater than you've ever had before. We will yield to you, we will seek you, we want to know you, and we want to show the world who you really are. Would you pray that with me today? Holy Spirit, would you be at work in us? We need your power. We need your power, Lord. We can't do this on our own, and we don't want to. We want your power to be at work. We want your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. 
your Holy Spirit to equip us with words to speak. Your Holy Spirit to give us the ability to discern a moment that we should walk through in conversation with someone else. We, O Lord, want your Holy Spirit to truly be the leader of our lives. We don't want to live our own life and then ask you to bless it. We want you, your will, your power, your plans, your agenda. We want your work to be done through us, O God. We yield our hands, we yield our feet, we yield our mouths to you, O God, that everything we do and everything we say will be pleasing to you and edifying, Lord, to others to point them to you, O Lord. Holy Spirit, would you do a work? I pray that we will not ever grow to that place of apathy or drift to that place of apathy where, Lord, it's just an indifference matter to us, Lord, where we can look around and be desensitized and not care about what's going on. But, God, that it would grip our hearts. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you grip our hearts and that we would see with eyes, Lord, to know that people are lost and people are on their way to eternal separation from you. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you work in us? We need you. We need you in every part of our lives. We need you in every way. Would you empower us? In your own way today, would you just ask the Lord for his power to be at work in your life? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, be at work in us. You help us to live a life following Jesus and you help us to help others follow Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, be with us. God, I pray throughout this week in homes, in neighborhoods, in workplaces, in interactions with people maybe we don't know and in interactions with people throughout this week of VBX, There would just be some some sweet moments where we would recognize the working and power of the Holy Spirit through us in ways that maybe we've never experienced that before. God, that we would just recognize that you're helping us to have the words to speak, that you're helping us to walk through the door of opportunity, that you are at work in our lives. I just pray, God, that we would long for your work that we would be passionate about wanting you to work through us, oh God, that we would not just go from this moment and and keep going with life and not give a second thought to this moment. But Lord, we would hear these words, your word, and we would call on you that your power may be at work within us and through us. Thank you, Lord. I'm reminded, Lord, of a couple of chapters later in Acts 4 where people were were being persecuted, people were being uh, accused of different things, people were being told to stop even preaching in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I remember the prayer. The prayer was for courage and boldness to continue to speak the truth. And the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit came and it was at work in all of them. Lord, would that be the case today? Give us courage, give us boldness, give us awareness. May we be passionate and intentional. May we trust you to equip us the way we need. May we not live by fear, but by faith in you, that you are with us every step of the journey. 
Church, I'm going to pray over you today, and then I want to just challenge you and encourage you. Feel free to find a spot and pray today and just ask the power of God to be at work in your life. Father, would you bless and keep this people? Would you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them? May your countenance, your favor, ever be turned in their direction, and may you grant them your peace. Fill us to overflowing, I pray, that we might spill over into someone else's life and that someone else may come to know you, Jesus. Go with us, keep us safe, well, whole, and use us to your desires, I pray in Jesus' name.